Hello, and welcome to Dialogue in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Harrison Wynn, and I am a dermatology resident from the Emory University School of Medicine. Today's edition of Dialogues in Dermatology is a collaboration with the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology, which aims to feature high-impact publications that have recently been published in the JAD. In this episode, I am honored to be joined by Dr. Peter Bittar, a senior dermatology resident from the Indiana University School of Medicine, and Dr. Christopher Miller, who is professor of dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania and the director of the Penn Dermatology Oncology Center. Drs. Bittar and Miller are co-authors on a recent publication in the September JAD entitled Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Local Recurrence Rates of Head and Neck Cutaneous Melanomas After Wide Local Excision, Mohs Micrographic Surgery, or Stage Excision. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology, Drs. Bittar and Miller. Thanks, Dr. Wynn. Thank you, Dr. Wynn. It's an honor to be here. Dr. Bittar, could you start by telling us how you got interested in this research question and what your study aimed to answer? Certainly. So melanoma was the condition that got me interested in dermatology to begin with. And as you know, is one of the deadliest conditions that we do treat in the field. Melanomas of the head and neck especially are at particularly high risk, both for mortality in our patients, but also for morbidity and local recurrence, even when they are treated. And there are different surgical techniques that have been proposed to treat melanoma, the standard wide local excision, Mohs micrographic surgery, and stage excisions, And we really wanted to determine if there was a difference in the local recurrence rates for head and neck melanomas treated by these different surge modalities. Really, the use of Mohs has increased substantially over the past couple decades and with the advent of immunostaining and now these other new stage excision techniques, there is a lot of opportunity to see whether one is better than the other. However, there really is a lack of studies out there that compares these techniques. So we set out to analyze the existing data to help guide best practice and see, is there a best way to treat our patients suffering from this deadly condition? Outstanding, thank you for that background, Dr. Bittar. So what did your group find and what are the implications for dermatology? Uh, Certainly, so in short, we found that the more comprehensively that we examine the microscopic margin for these head and neck melanomas, the more we can lower the local recurrence rates for these patients. To expand on that, we analyzed around 14,000 cases across 100 published manuscripts to date, and found that the local recurrence rates for head and neck melanomas treated by these techniques varied quite substantially, much more than we expected on the outset. The local recurrence rate overall for wide local excision was near 8%, 7.8% that is. For Mohs, micrographic surgery overall was around 0.6%, nearly a 12-4 difference. And for stage excision techniques was around 1.84%. We wanted to examine this a little further, you know, not content with just looking at the overall rate. So we assessed whether this difference held up, whether the melanoma was invasive or in situ, and we found that that still was the case. In fact, the difference in local occurrence rates for the invasive melanomas differed even more so than it did for the in situ melanomas. The wide local still had around a 7.6% difference local occurrence rates, whereas for most surgery, it was around still 06 And similarly for stage excision, it was around 1%. Whereas for in situ melanomas, while the wide local occurrence rate was about half of what it is in invasive, around 3%, for Mohs micrographic surgery still was around that 0.7% difference. We found that 
our data supports the continued use for Mohs surgery for both invasive and in-situ melanomas given this information. And further, we wanted to see if the technique that is used for these surgeries played a role as well. So for Mohs surgery, while many centers use immunostains, MART1, et cetera, to help guide their evaluation of the microscopic margins, some do not. And within stage excision, there exists you know, nearly a dozen different ways to do it, the spaghetti technique, the square technique, et cetera. To help consolidate these differences, we divided them into two main categories. Those that evaluated the complete peripheral and deep margin versus those that only examined part of that, the partial stage excision techniques that is. And we found that within both these categories for the MOS using immunostains and uh, the stage excisions examining complete or partial aspects of the margin, there did exist differences as well. So the tumors that were evaluated with immunostains with Mohs surgery had around a 0.5% local occurrence rates, whereas those that did not use immunostains had you know, nearly a six times increased rate of local recurrence. In the stage excision techniques, those that examined the complete margin had half the local recurrence rates of those that examined the partial margin. So to summarize this, really I'll reiterate that point. The more comprehensively we examine the microscopic margin, whether that is physically looking at the entirety of the peripheral margin and deep margin under the microscope, using immunostains to highlight where cells may be, that can play a large role in lowering the local recurrence rates for head and back melanoma. That is extremely powerful data to show the benefit between these two techniques that really establish margin control versus wide local excision. And so, again, I want to really applaud you and your group for highlighting this. I'd like to take a, a brief moment, as you mentioned, Dr. Vitar, just kind of the, the variation in how Mohs micrographic surgery is done. And with Dr. Miller joining us on the call, I was wondering if Dr. Miller, could you just give a brief overview of how Mohs is done at the University of Pennsylvania? Thank you, Harrison and Peter. Great explanation. And uh, again, congratulations on leading this project. It was a monumental task. Peter, what did you spend? Four or five years going through data for, for this project? Just about um, that. Started this as a medical student and now I'm uh, in my last year of residency. <laughs> a, a lot of work. And Harrison, thanks for this question, because I think that the, Peter's paper does show that technique matters and technique can directly affect local recurrence rate. And we know from survey data out of Kansas with Spiro Siskos and Thomas Hawker that most surgeons use various techniques to treat melanoma with Mohs surgery. And we know from a publication by Dr. Amy Krauss from our group and several other groups with a systematic review that will be coming out in derm surgery that the published techniques for Mohs surgery vary. And this is one of the biggest challenges that we face as a specialty because the use of Mohs surgery and staged excision have grown and they're established practices at most centers, but not everybody does it the same way. And Peter's paper shows at least two things that are important. If we do Mohs surgery, it's important to use immunostains a six-fold increased risk of local recurrence if you don't use immunostains with Mohs surgery. And if you do staged excision, if we do staged excision, it's important to look at the complete peripheral margin, not just a partial bread loaf section of the peripheral margin. 
So those are two examples of techniques that Peter's paper highlights. We know from the survey data and our systematic review that there are other techniques that matter, that potentially matter. For example, not every Mohs surgeon evaluates the debulking excision. That could affect your ability to have accurate staging prior to reconstruction. And it might increase your ability to interpret the pathology margins because you get to see what the tumor looks like and its relationship to the margin. So without getting too wonky about technique, I'll just uh, settle there and just emphasize the two points that Peter's paper makes, that the use of IHC for Mohs is essential and that for staged excision, complete peripheral margin evaluation is important too instead of just partial peripheral margin evaluation. Thank you for that overview, Dr. Miller. Dr. Bittar, we know that the definition of recurrence can be variable, and it looks like the definition seems to vary among surgical technique as well. For example, some of the studies for the wide local excision included a more liberal definition of recurrence, such as within five centimeters of the scar. How did your group control for this, and could this have an impact on the significance of the data? Thanks, Dr. Wynn. I'm actually really glad that you brought up this point because I think it is a aspect of published data and reporting for melanoma and other tumors, frankly, that we have a lot of room for improvement in dermatology in terms of standardizing our definitions so that we can really thoroughly analyze data. In our study, as you mentioned, we did find that the definitions did vary quite a bit over different studies, some of them within five centimeters of the scar, some using the true definition of local recurrence, that is recurrences within the scar or directly abutting the scar. Some that simply said, recurrence that was not, not nodal or regional. We did find though that this wasn't limited only to the wide local excision papers. There were some Mohs micrographic surgery papers that treated melanoma that used some of these more liberal definitions within five centimeters of the scar or simply at the primary site. So we weren't able to really see whether those difference in definitions significantly differed between the techniques. However, even with this, we did find that in doing a sensitivity analysis where we excluded those papers that had a definition where the local recurrence was greater than two centimeters, this was not actually published data. This was submitted to the reviewers, but not published. The sensitivity analysis showed that there was not a difference in the takeaways here. The local recurrence rates for each of those techniques and the subcategories did not really vary substantially. But that still only evaluates a portion of the studies that reported local recurrence. So the other aspect I'd like to highlight is that even with the more liberal definitions, those local recurrences that occur within five centimeters of the scar, if they're not in the scar itself, we would consider them an in-transit metastasis. And there is some data out there that shows that these in-transit metastases do happen uncommonly. As the site of first recurrence, various papers show that in-transit metastases happen 2 to 11% of the time. So if they were happening and they were included in this, which I'm sure some were, it would likely would be a minority of the overall local recurrences in those studies. So unlikely to make a substantial difference in the overall local recurrence rates that were reported. At the very least, likely not a substantial difference to explain a 12-fold variation between techniques in local recurrence. I, I truly wish that we could standardize this though. I think that moving forward as a field, we should come to a you know, true consensus. This is the true definition of local recurrence because the better data we have and the more precise and consistent our data is, the more robust we will be able to make 
true and evidence-based decisions moving forward. Maybe I can add a little bit to that. First, part of the reason that the project took four to five years was of how careful Peter and the team were to use sensitivity analysis to make sure that the conclusions were robust, that they weren't influenced by variations in the techniques or the reporting for different studies. So that's an important thing to emphasize about the the data. It was rigorous data checked from many different angles and the conclusion continued to hold up regardless of the sensitivity analysis. Comprehensive microscopic margin evaluation lowers the risk for local recurrence of head and neck melanomas. But another opportunity to recognize our colleagues who are working to standardize results, Ashley Wysong, Justin Leitenberger, Murad Alam, they've done incredible work to try to improve the consistency of reporting outcomes, which is essential for us to be able to interpret data. So I want to thank our colleagues who are trying to do exactly what we found to be a frustrating part of analyzing the data. It's hard to analyze data when there are differences in reporting outcomes. Thank you, Dr. Bittar and Dr. Miller. It really stood out to me that despite all these challenges and perhaps inconsistency, that the, the data still shown through, or it, it really was still conveyed. And I just wanted to um, kind of revisit your point, Dr. Bittar, about how the importance of standardization for our field. The challenge is that we can try to standardize it, but as we work with other fields, it does take kind of unifying, kind of more widespread efforts to be able to make sure that all the fields are on the same page about recurrence. So thanks again for addressing that. The other point that your group highlighted uh, in your discussion was a challenge in identifying Breslow depth for the invasive melanomas. And you had briefly touched upon this earlier, Dr. Bittar, but can you discuss this potential limitation and why it perhaps was not as pertinent on the significance of your data? Certainly. And you know, as Dr. Miller mentioned, this was probably one of the more frustrating aspects of analyzing this data. While several studies reported Breslow depths, Many simply reported Clark's levels or the overall tumor stage. However, we weren't examining studies that just were reported in the past few years. We were looking over a few decades and staging criteria have changed substantially over that time. Definitions changing from, you know, 1.0 centimeters to 0.76 centimeters to, excuse me, millimeters, 0.8 millimeters. So it was nigh impossible to standardize those and translate from one to the other across all these studies. Although that is what we initially hoped to be able to do. So with that, we decided to simply analyze in-situ melanomas and invasive melanomas as their whole categories. We did find in our literature searches that while some studies do show that higher stage invasive melanomas have an increased risk for true local recurrence and as well as in transit recurrences, there are some studies out there that did not show a correlation between the tumor stage and local recurrence. So I think that is another area that is ripe for evaluation uh, to get uh, better data on. At the end of the day, we still find that when we look at this overall, even in invasive melanomas, the differences in local recurrence rates were even larger than those found in situ melanomas. So I think the main takeaway is still likely that the more comprehensively we examine the margin, the, the better that we will be able to lower local recurrence, whether it is in situ or invasive. But you know, further study, I would love to see 
if we could examine the impact of Breslow depth on this for all these studies. I think that it would be fantastic for us to, to look at. Yeah, and add one, another point to this. So while data are conflicting about whether the degree of invasion, the depth of invasion influences local recurrence rate, where it is not conflicting is that whether the melanoma is invasive or in situ, if it's located on the head and neck, the risk for subclinical spread applies to both invasive and in situ melanomas. So margin-controlled surgery with staged excision or Mohs surgery is going to address that challenge, whether to detect and remove subclinical tumor prior to reconstruction. And then the question of how much the depth of invasion influences local recurrence rate, that still needs additional evaluation. But both invasive and in situ melanomas have subclinical spread and margin control surgery addresses that. And there's no dispute about that fact that subclinical spread applies to both invasive and in situ melanoma. Thank you for that answer, Dr. Batar and Dr. Miller. Just a brief addition, I would encourage listeners and readers to read the publication by Dr. Miller's group about the rule of tens versus the rule of twos uh, regarding this issue and how really kind of this is that really underlies importance of margin control for head and neck and specialty site melanomas. So moving on, Dr. Batar, why do you hypothesize that there was a difference and didn't seem to be significant, but a, a small difference in recurrence? between Mohs micrographic surgery and stage excision? Yeah, so I think there's two main salient aspects to, to this answer. One is that the more clinical information you have for any tumor, the easier it can be to interpret difficult pathology. So, you know, Mohs surgery, by definition, the surgeon who is excising the tumor is the one looking at the slide versus in our stage excision techniques, a separate pathologist is looking at the slide's than the one who excised the tumor itself. And the surgeon who is excising a tumor knows what the patient looks like. They, they are the one, they're looking right at them when they're excising that out. They know how many lentigines they have. They know how much sun damage there is, actinic damage. They know uh, a little bit more information at the very least that can help them when presented with a section that appears, hmm, is this really melanoma still here? Or are these just some isolated melanocytes? Or is this a lentigo that is a budding here? You know, since they have that access right away, a surgeon may be able to communicate with the pathologist this information. But if a surgeon is not, then there is going to be that discrepancy. There is going to be an information discrepancy that is. And the second aspect of this is that the more steps you introduce to any process, the greater the risk for errors to add up. So whereas in Mohs surgery, like I said, the same surgeon is examining the tissue, you know, within an hour after sizing it or, or a few hours with immunostains. With the stage excision, you're going to be involving more people, more steps, more back and forth passing of tumor. So more chance for those errors to add up. I like to relate this to the telephone game that we all play as children. You, you start off with uh, one phrase and by the time it comes back to you, it's a completely different one. Now with good communication, you, that can be mitigated significantly. But that, that is a challenge. Uh, and the other aspect is also that techniques vary between these. And, you know, whether you're going to be examining the complete or partial uh, margin and whether you're going to use immunostains or not. And we don't have uh, enough information uh, in our data set to know the use of immunostains in these stage decision techniques and pairing that to, to most surgeries. So they may, that may also be playing a role. 
at the end of the day, I think it is the information discrepancy, the chance for errors with multiple steps, and simply that the more you look at the margin, the better you'll be able to control for it. We don't want to diminish the main point of the paper, which is that both modes and staged excision lower local recurrence rate of head and neck melanomas compared to wide local excision. So in centers where Mohs surgery is not available, staged excision is a fantastic option. But it may be that the clinical information that the Mohs surgeon has may help to interpret difficult slides and that the fewer steps in in a Mohs lab may reduce the risk of uh, recurrence. Thank you for both those answers, uh, Dr. Tarm and Dr. Miller. I, I appreciate the redirection, the emphasis that margin control was the superior intervention, whether it was Mohs micrographic surgery or stage excision. Bear in mind that this we still do not have Mohs micrographic surgery. I mentioned in the guidelines for cutaneous treatment of cutaneous melanomas. What are the challenges in perhaps taking this to the next step and coordinating a prospective study to validate these findings, and how can they be overcome? Right, right. So, you know, as we mentioned, there is not a lot of data comparing these techniques in the current literature, and the more data we have, the more robust we can make our decisions. I think the biggest challenges are those technical differences we've been referring to earlier. Even amongst most surgery, there exists different variations in how tumors are approached, uh, especially with the use of immunostains, but other more technical differences that Dr. Miller may be able to address. And certainly within stage excision techniques, like I mentioned, there were probably a dozen or so techniques ranging from slow mows to the spaghetti technique, and even with wide local acquisition. So any prospective study that would be done would need to have agreed upon standardized techniques, agreed upon definitions, certainly, to be able to get good data. And I think the other aspect is that for a lot of these patients, especially if we're going to try to compare it to a wide local excision, it may not be entirely ethical to do so. Dr. Miller could certainly address this a bit. So I think that the biggest challenges we have in coordinating a prospective study is that, as we've mentioned, techniques can vary quite substantially even within these categories of Mohs micrographic surgery and stage excisions. Some surgeons use immunostains, some don't. And within stage excisions, there exists you know, possibly a dozen techniques ranging from slow Mohs to the, the spaghetti technique. And any study that evaluates these would need to have agreed upon standardized ways to approach the tumors, as well as agreed upon standardized ways to report local recurrence rates, the definitions that we were mentioning earlier. So that is certainly one hurdle. Another hurdle that I think Dr. Miller may be able to touch upon a little better. Yeah. So the question is, how will we accumulate prospective data and what kind of prospective trial could be ethical? At Penn, we have an ethical dilemma. We looked into developing a trial with some of our colleagues across the country that would compare Mohs to wide local excision, but we consulted our ethicists at the Cancer Center And we were advised that it would not be ethical to randomize our patients at Penn based on the data we have. At Penn, we've published our data. We know that at Penn, when wide local excision was occurring on these specialty site melanomas, more than 12% of patients were upstaging at the time of surgery, and more than 12% had positive margins. 
And now we also know that uh, the local recurrence risk is almost tenfold higher when you use uh, wide local excision compared to Mohs surgery or staged excision. We've also published about 2,000 of our patients treated with Mohs surgery, about 500 of which have had more than five-year follow-up, and our local recurrence risk is less than 0.5% at Penn. So at Penn, how are we going to tell after 16 years of established practice, a patient who comes in with a nasal melanoma, hey, you're going to get wide local excision, you're going to get Mohs surgery. They're not equal techniques. We know that uh, the outcomes are better at Penn than they are when patients have Mohs surgery versus wide local excision. So that's a real challenge in developing a trial that would compare Mohs or staged excision to wide local excision. The overwhelming data indicates that margin-controlled surgery improves outcomes for patients. So the question then is, what kind of prospective trial can we design that is ethical and that will give us information to show that this is important. First, we need multi-center trials. While uh, we know that some centers use different techniques and it appears that volume could matter and technique can matter. So we need standardized technique across uh, multiple institutions that is using prospective data to show that margin-controlled surgery improves outcomes. That would be one great opportunity that is ethical. It's already an established practice at these institutions, but can we do it together? Can multiple institutions show that it works? And then I think we have three main challenges, I think, for any prospective trial. Peter already mentioned an important one, standardizing technique. Technique matters. differences in technique can affect outcomes. So that technique needs to be standard. Two is indications. People use Mohs surgery or staged excision for different indications. We published the rule of tens versus the rule of twos to highlight that these techniques are really applied most commonly to specialty site melanomas, not to well-defined trunk and extremity melanomas. And then the third is how do we measure competency? of the people who are performing these techniques. Do you need to have a certain volume in order to establish competency? Do you need a system of mentoring when you're using the technique? So we haven't established these measures of competency and those three things, standardized techniques, standardized indications, and measures of competency or standards of excellence, I think are the most important steps for us to develop prospective data. Thank you to you both for that challenging question and uh, really highlighting the importance of standardizing technique indication and measures of competence to be able to perhaps as the next step in unifying these efforts. We've covered so many uh, topics. And uh, again, I just want to highlight how amazing and impactful this work is. Dr. Batar, Dr. Miller, is there anything else you would like to share with the audience? You know, at this time, I think you touched upon all the, the high points that I was hoping to address today. But, you know, thank you so much for your time and for uh, having us here. Very excited to be a part of this. Well, on behalf of Dialogues in Dermatology and the American Academy of Dermatology, I'd like to thank you both for your time, Drs. Bitar and Miller. We look forward to following your group's work in the future and w- would love to have you on again as you continue to uncover important insights into the surgical treatment of melanoma. Thanks again. Thank you, Dr. Nguyen. Thanks, Dr. Wynn. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. 
This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.